0: We're going to be jumping into scripture. We're going to be looking at something amazing today on how we accomplish the mission as a body of people, okay? Lord, I just want to thank you for all the men and women, all the children who are part of this body, who you've brought together into one place to love one another, serve one another, bear one of those burdens, admonish one another faithfully, engage missionally in the community. You've brought us together to do this, and it's amazing. From our staff team to our kids leaders, to the worship team, to uh, front lines greeters, to uh, people back in the back in the tech that nobody see, um, all these people coming together to work together to be and make fully devoted followers to Jesus. God, we're just thankful for the people. Um, we don't have time to think. It's just to mention everything that you've been doing through everyone here. But we pray that, God, you would strengthen us for your mission. You would encourage us. We wouldn't walk in a have-to attitude, but a get-to, a want-to attitude. Remind us of your goodness and your grace and your gospel as we just sing about. And, and uh, Lord, we look forward to the day where we get to sing and be together in your kingdom, free from sin, free from pain, free from need for ministries, uh, because we're in the presence of the great minister of all time. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, so we've, we've been looking at a series that we're calling God's Church, okay? Uh, we're ta- we took a break from uh, going through specific books. We're going to jump back into going into Matthew in the new year, which is going to be amazing. Um, but right now we're looking at something, we're calling it God's Church. And we say it that way because the church is God's. There you go, right? It's like the answer was in the question um, and so it is God's church. And so we talked about how the church began. We talked about what the church is known for, which is their love for one another. And then we, we talked about what is the church's mission. And then this is the third week and final week of talking about how we accomplish the mission. Okay. And so today is part three. And it's through something called care and correction. All right. Everybody say care and correction. All right. Awesome. Uh, here's what we need to know. We're going to dive right in because we've got a lot to go through. I'm not going to be in a specific passage. We're going to have a shotgun of information coming at you, all right? So if you've got notes, you're doing a great job, try to capture what you can. I want you to go and do further study as you leave this place. So here's what I want you to know. Uh, we are called to be a people who are known for our love for one another as Christians. That's what we're called to be known for, all right? Uh, we're known for our love for one another. Now, for that to happen, we're going to have to know what the Bible says about that. And we're going to have to obey what Scripture says about how we love one another and correct one another and care for one another. We're going to have to listen to what God's Word says about that. Now, here's the kind of the thesis statement, and I'm going to give you three points we're going to go into when we're going to go. Here's the thesis statement. Biblical care and correction. Listen, if the goal is, if the vision is, To be a place that's known for their love for one another, biblical care and correction are the standard by which we determine our love for one another. All right, let me say it one more time: biblical care and correction are the standard by which we determine how we are loving one another. I'm gonna we're gonna talk today about two major categories. We're gonna break them down, and you're gonna see when we say what does it look like. Like we gotta be known for our love one another. We're not going to be ambiguous anymore. We're going to be specific today, Okay, You ready? So here are the three things I want to look at. First thing I want to look at is clarity. I'm going to explain what that is in a second. Then we're going to look at care for one another and correction of one another in the body, all right? So let's look at clarity. What do I mean by clarity? What do you mean, Greg? Well, here's what I mean. By clarity, I mean with whom, maybe I'm getting that wrong. My wife will tell me. uh, Do we practice care and correction? Who do you practice care and correction with? Let's have some clarity, okay? So let's recap the mission. The mission of the church is to make disciples. What is a disciple? Somebody shout it out. It's a learner. It's a a student. It's a follower. That's exactly right. So we are called to make disciples, students, followers of Jesus. Now, what is discipleship? I said that a couple weeks ago. Discipleship is just simply teaching, leading, and passing on the way of Jesus to others. That's all it is, okay? It's showing people the beauty, the power, and the goodness of God and how they can have a relationship with him in a way that leads to flourishing, okay? Which is exactly what God desires for all of you. Did you know that? He wants you to flourish, okay? Now, here's the thing we talked about. uh, The mission is incredibly uh, huge. It's immense. It's complex. And no single disciple can do all discipleship for the whole world by themselves. No disciple of Jesus can do it alone, nor are they expected to. And That's why the early church called this thing church. It comes from a Greek word, ekklesia. Everybody give that a shot. You did a great job, okay? Ekklesia, which means assembly of citizens or gathering, all right? So Outpost Community Church, our name is like super redundant. It's like community, 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 all right? We're a community gathering. We're a gathering of gatherings. Like that's, okay, we're trying to be redundant a little bit, but that is what church is. It's a assembly of citizens, okay? So what does that apply, imply? It implies that It's not just one person at their home reading their Bible. It's not just me and Jesus. It's we and Jesus. You like that? That's how they talked to me when I was a kid, okay? Uh, It's not just me and Jesus. It's we and Jesus. Okay, Jesus and Paul both speak to this. Jesus describes his church as his family. And to not be a part of the family is to be an orphan. He describes his church as his body, And to not be a part of the body is to be dismembered from the body. He describes it as a flock, right? And to not be a part of the flock is to be isolated, in danger, alone. But it's meant to be, the church is a gathering. He also describes it as his kingdom, meaning that we are citizens. And in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says in verse 19, "...so then you are no longer strangers and aliens." But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's awesome. You're not alone. God's church is the assembled citizens of Christ. This is going to be so important for how you understand care and correction. So if you believe, listen to me in the room, y'all. If you believe that there really is a God, okay, and that that God put on flesh to dwell among us, to Guys, legitimately live just like us, except for without sin. If you believe that 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 God, his name was Jesus, and that he showed the greatest love that could be ever shown by taking on the punishment on his body by crucifixion, on his spirit by the wrath of God being poured out on him for every single sin you've ever thought or done, If you believe that and you've repented, you say, I want to turn around from trying to be the king of my heart and I want that God, Jesus, in flesh who died for me to be the king of my heart, then you are one of us. You are a member of the household of God, a son or daughter. All right? It's that simple. Do you believe? Do you trust? Do you follow him? Now, if that's the case, you are also a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. All right, I've got this thing right here. You guys know what this is? It's my passport. Um, and this passport, uh, you know, I applied for in the United States, and I, it gives me the opportunity to cross borders in our, uh, out of our country into other countries. But it says that I am a citizen of the United States of America, right? Here's the thing about being a Christian. When you are a Christian... You, no, no, you are no longer just a citizen of a nation, of the United States of America. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me tell you something, all right? On the inside, there's a really handsome picture of me, all right? Actually, I look like a hitman. Um, but there's a picture of me, all right? And when I go to, all right, that little kiosk with the guy who's angry, even though he applied for that job and accepted it, um, And I hand this to him, right? And I'm usually, when I travel, I'm wearing a hat. He's like, take off your hat. Why? Because he wants to see my face. Okay, let me see if this passport is your passport. Is this really you? Now, I want to tell you something. When you die, all right, if you are a Christian, you're not showing up to the gates of heaven and be like, well, you know, here's my passport. And you're going to hand that to them and you're going to look at it and be like, hey, man, uh, this does not give you access. No, 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 hold on a second. Jesus, look, look. Hey, you know me, man. I was, I was a really good guy. And, you know, I was a citizen of the United States. You know the Christian nation, right? I wasn't even a Republican, <laughs> right? And Jesus would go, listen, hey, you've got the wrong picture on the inside. You see, our citizenship in heaven, that passport has Jesus' picture on the inside, not our own. And so when I stand before Jesus... I'm not going to go, hey, I'm Greg Brooks. He goes, and? What I'm going to say is, listen, when he says, hey, why should I allow you into my heaven? I'll say you shouldn't. But I know because of your love for me and what you accomplished on the cross, which I believe in, I know you will, based on your integrity, based on your name, not mine. And that's what allows me as a citizen of heaven to go and be with my Jesus. Do you understand that? Now, with this passport, uh, and this is my second but with this passport, I've been able to travel the world a little bit. And in, in traveling the world, I've been able to see some other countries. And, and, and when you come across other cultures, they're a little different, right? They're a little different. We, we kind of eat differently. Sometimes we talk differently. We shake hands differently. We say hello differently. We greet one another, some with kisses, some with not. In Wyoming, we barely even shake hands. And, and so there's different ways of the, of, of the way we operate. But for the most part, what I've seen is that we're all really, really similar. But there are some differences. Guys, listen. It's no different with the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We are kind of similar to the world, but we're also strangely different. Now, here's the beautiful thing about being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. It does not matter what nation you come from. It does not matter what language you speak, what color you are, whether you're male or female, it does not matter what your race is. If you are a human being who believes in Christ, you need to know Christ died for you and you can be a citizen of heaven. Did you know that? That's the beautiful thing. But here's what's amazing is that when we are, when we become citizens of the kingdom of God, we become something different no matter what culture we're a part of. Now, we might eat our spicy Indian food or our American cheeseburgers, and we may enjoy those. But below the surface, there is something strangely different about us, and it's how we care for and correct one another as the people of God, the way we love one another. Hey, listen, in your uh, Bible, there is around 56 one another passages that describe how we care for and correct one another, OK? So in your chairs, there was a sheet. I want you to grab that sheet because we're going to read it. And I need somebody to give me that sheet because I meant to bring one up and I didn't. All right, thank you, Eric. You're the bomb. We're going to read these, okay? I want you to imagine for a moment, you're traveling the world, you're seeing cultures, you're doing your millennial you know, dream you know, in your van up the West Coast, whatever. All right, now imagine that in your travels, You come across this community of people, and this is what they're like, these one another's. Okay, let's read this. It says, be at peace with one another. Show hospitality with one another. We are members of one another. Honor one another. Do not judge one another. Encourage one another. Do not excuse one another. Do not fight with one another. Serve one another. Do not envy one another. Admonish one another. Wait for one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Bear the burdens of one another. Show deference to one another. Forgive one another. Be kind to one another. Submit to one another. Do not lie to one another. Be in unity with one another. Comfort one another. Concern yourself in the affairs of one another. Some of you are like, I'm out. Do not hate one another. Do not speak evil of one another. Pray for one another. Be like-minded toward one another. Do not hold a grudge against one another. Highly esteem one another. Do not be partial towards one another. Have fellowship with one another. Edify one another. Teach one another. Do good to one another. Exhort one another. Minister spiritual gifts to one another. Wow. Your tr- yeah, whoa. How incredible is that list? Maybe a little overwhelming. Can you imagine traveling the world and coming across a group of people who acted like this? It would be marvelous. Now, let's be honest. This is what we as Outpost Community Church and other churches in this city and in this county, and in this state, and in this country, and in this world, are trying to be. This is who we're trying to be. And it's a beautiful list, right? I would say, you all would say, for the most part, sign me up for that kind of community. But this list brings up a couple questions that I have for you, okay? And these two questions are now where I want to bring about clarity. These are for you to Think about if you are a Christian in this room, you are expected to work together with other Christians to make more Christians, right? Right. Okay. Uh, The way that we do that is by leading, teaching, and passing on the way of Jesus to others, right? Right. Okay. The number one way we're going to be able to display that to this world is in the way that we love one another. Is that right? Okay. So let me ask you. With whom are you gathering to practice these one another's? Who are you doing this with? My question is basically are you a member of a local gathering where you, it's a gathering of the citizens of heaven that work together with you on this? I'm not talking this ambiguous. Are you truly available to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Jesus? How so? Do they know that? Okay, how do you exhort one another daily? How are you teaching, admonishing, and pursuing in one another? You see, these are, guys, listen, these are not general statements for Christians to practice when they pass each other on the street. These are specific, intentional things that citizens of the kingdom of heaven are meant to do with other people that they know on a regular basis. It's specific with specific people. Who do you walk these out with? Are you clear on who that is? Are they clear that they're do- supposed to do that with you? Okay. You don't like that question. Let me make it worse. Let me ask you a second question. Hebrews 13, verse 17, all right? It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. If you are not a member of a local gathering of Christians, okay, who are the leaders that you are obeying? Who is it? Alright, let, let me ask you this. If if there are a, a group of Christians and they've got elders, the leaders, shepherds, pastors of that body, how do they know who they're gonna give an account for if they don't take count? Right? Listen, I don't think that every one of you who wanders into outposts, I'm gonna have to give an account for. Do you understand? Now, I need to give an account for how I steward this time with you right now, for sure. But there are 56 other things that as a shepherd of God's people, I need to make sure that we are trying to walk towards. Because clearly that's what God's best is for us. And why would I not try to pursue what God's best is? Am I right? So I hear this often. Hey, listen, church membership is not biblical. And I go, you're wrong. I think you're wrong. But let me tell you. You know, because we say that, but then we go, well, Jesus is the greatest shepherd who's ever lived. And he goes, listen, he's the shepherd who will leave the 99 for the one. My question is, how do I know if I have 99 less if one is missing? How often I hear people go, hey, we left there and they never called us, right? Or, hey, we were there and I never felt cared for. We didn't feel known. And I go, listen, it's not because... I, I'm not saying that that church is bad, but I want to ask you, are they clear that they're going to walk these out with you? So listen, this is just questions of clarity. Now, am I going to say to you guys that here at Alpost Community Church, our members signed a membership covenant. Do we see that in the New Testament? No. Do we see that there's an expectation that they even keep a role of who is uh, who is? The widows among them, yes, they keep record. So the elders know who are theirs. They know what widows are theirs. They know who are their people. Now, they were a pre-industrial society were lived in smaller communities than ours. Our city would be a large city in the Roman Empire. And so it's a little bit different in this post-industrial world, for sure. So, but here's what I want to tell you. This is the practical step you need to do. You need to create clarity about who is your local church. Okay, you don't have to do it here at Outposts, and you don't have to do it like us. But you need to be clear about who is your local church. And here's two ways to solve it. Number one is to go and find one. Okay, I got one recommendation. I kind of like it. All right, it's decent. The people are kind of weird, but they're 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 kind of they're cool too, you know. Uh, but listen, find a local church who say, "I'll do this with you. I'll be your local church. I'll be your one another. Let's do it together." Okay, and now if you don't want to do that, here's my second recommendation. Go make one. Go make one. Get a group of, group of believers together, okay? Now, don't be a group of believers who go, well, we're going to be the ones who are better than everyone. Don't do that attitude. It's going to go bad for you really quickly, okay? But go find a group of people and go, hey, do you guys want to work together and do this together? You want to make disciples and multiply this thing? You want to bear one another's burdens and so fill the law of Christ? You guys want to admonish me when I need you to admonish me? Will you be admonishful so I can come to you? You want to teach me, pursue me, love me, care for me, give preference to me, and me to you? Let's do it. So go create one. I'm down. I'll pray for you. Do it. This town needs another, one, another group of those people. Okay? There's space. Do it. But here's what I want to tell you. If you don't, if you compromise clarity about who's your local church, you will dampen discipleship significantly. Listen to me, friends. So many of you and so many others are going, man, the church is just so watered down. And I would say, I agree. Now, what we do next, I might disagree with. Because here's what I would say is, I think it's because we don't actually expect these things of one another. And as soon as somebody expects it of you, you go, I'm out. I'd rather go to that church where when I leave, they don't call me. Right? We don't actually expect this of one another. And Outposts, we just do. And that's actually the reason why some people have left Outposts. And I don't think that we're better than them. It's just we're going to, ex- we want them to expect us to be God's people. We want to expect them to do the same. Do you hear what I'm saying? And when that happens, a richness, a depth, a potency to our discipleship begins to surface and then we become, listen to me, it's happening. We become a group of people that go, wait a second. Yeah, you're American, but you're different. The way y'all talk to each other, the way you pray, the way you share these crazy stories of sin and what God has done in your life, that's different. I've never seen this. What's going on here? And we go, it's just because, look, we're just trying to follow this God. He's good. He's right. He's awesome. We should trust him. We're going to take him at his word, and we're going to do what he told us to do. And when we don't, which we often don't, then we're going to do what he also told us to do, which is confess our sins to one another and pray for one another and be healed and keep going. You hear me? We've got, you've got to be clear. Who is your church? Man, I'm loving you the best I can by telling you that. Now, let's move on to care. Anybody care to move on to care? All right, let's talk about care. What do I mean by care? All right, care is, this is what I mean. It's meeting the needs of the body of Christ and their community. Seems pretty simple, right? Meeting the needs of the body. Now, I want to start by talking about the expectations that people have outside of the church before I talk about you and your expectations. Now, I know that sounds really strange to start talking about the world's expectations of the church, seeing as we don't live for the world, right? We don't live for the world's approval. We live from the approval of God and for his good pleasure. Amen. Okay, right? Uh, John, the disciple and apostle, actually says 1 John 2:15 and through 17: Do not love this world. Whoever loves the world, right? Uh, The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, it's not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Paul also says in Galatians 1.10, something that almost every one of you in this room should memorize and meditate on for your freedom and goodness. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man?" He says, "Listen, he says, "If I were still trying to please man, I would not be what? I would not be a servant of Christ, so we don't live for the approval of this world. It's not necessarily their opinions that really matter, right? Clearly. But that doesn't dismiss the fact that the world has expectations around the Christians the way Christians treat one another. Am I right? Doesn't the world expect us to be a different kind of people? right or wrong, understanding that helps us and it helps them to help love them. Because listen, guys, the Christian life, you need to hear this today. The Christian life is not a private life. It is a personal life that plays itself out privately and publicly. Do you hear what I'm saying? Matthew 5, Jesus says, listen, you are the light of the world, Christians, church you're the light of the world a city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven paul also communicates when he says for though i so this is paul's talking about the way he goes about his christian life he says for though i am free from all i'm free from the world's opinion I have made myself a servant of all that I might win more of them. In verse 22 of 1 Corinthians, he says, uh, to the, or Second Corinthians, he says, to the weak I became weak, 1 Corinthians, sorry, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some, and I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you see the heart of the founder of Christianity, and one of its greatest apostles, I'm going to do it. Listen, my life is, my faith is not some private thing that I keep in secret. It's a personal thing that it's going to display itself publicly. And the reason why is because I want people to see the goodness and kindness of God and his gospel. That's the massive truth that we want to see. And it's true outside of the church and it's true inside the church. Guys, let me ask you, do you expect Christians to love one another? Do you guys expect that? Of course you do. We just read about 56 Of course you do. Your Bible says that. In John 13, 34 and 35, uh, when Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Uh, as I have loved you, which was the sacrificial love, you are to love one another. And by this, all people know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. When the, uh, uh, when the Jerusalem leadership was sending Paul, right, he, Paul tells the Galatians, he says, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. There was an expectation in their sinning. Hey, listen, go and teach the gospel, but hey, don't forget the poor. And he goes, that's what I want to do. Later in Galatians, Paul encourages the Galatian church by saying, listen, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Christ, who is the burden bearer, right? There's an expectation now, I want to read you guys a passage that's looking forward. This is Jesus talking about what's going to happen at the end. And I want you to see how he puts care as, as almost the standard by which you have access to the heaven or not. Now, it's not that it's by works, but he's saying all those who are mine, their faith will play itself out like this. And look what he says. This is Matthew 25, 31 through 40. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate the people one as as one or separate one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on his left then the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for i was hungry And the King, Jesus, will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The overwhelming expectation, friends, of us as Christians, is that we are so overwhelmed by what Christ has done for us, that we go, man, I just, I, I want to give this to others. I want to bear other people's burdens. I want to care for people. That's the expectation. But now let's just think for a minute, because I think all of us are going, yeah, it'd be cool to see it. What does it look like when that happens, when the church just does it, man? When they do it, what happens? Well, I think a great picture is the early church. The early church flipped Rome upside down by their care for one another. Brilliant. You know, in the early church, they had pandemics, right? Does that make anybody twitch that I even mentioned it? Okay. Okay. <laughs> They had, listen, they're actually called epidemics. And let me just tell you, COVID-19 was a walk in the park compared to what was happening in Rome. In Rome, in, uh, let me see, 165 to 180 and 251 to 266, there were massive epidemics. A historian, William H. McNeil, uh, estimated that from a quarter to a third of the population died in the first one. And in the second epidemic, at its height, 5,000 people a day were reported to have died in Rome alone. Can you imagine? Unbelievable believable deaths. How did the Christians respond? Uh, we should have read this about three years ago. In these epidemics, Christians offered an explanation and a comfort when all other faiths were called into question. Dionysius of Alexandria wrote to address his members. He said this, in the midst of the epidemic, other people would not think this a time for festival. Far from being a time of distress, he says, it is a time of unimaginable joy. What? Does that sound crazy? This Christian says it's a time of unimaginable joy. Although the epidemics terrified the pagans, Christians almost welcomed them and accepted them as schooling and testing. They walked into it without fear. Why is that? And here's why. Because the Christians self-identified as paracoy," which means they saw themselves as resident aliens. They go, listen, I may be Roman, But I'm far more than Roman. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. When this life ends, unimaginable joy is mine. And so, listen to this. Dionysius, when he wrote uh, an Easter letter to his shepherds and pastors and deacons and laymen in 260, he said this listen to the perspective of these believers. He said, Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves in thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. What does he mean by that? He means that in caring for them, they died. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner. A number of our presbyters, deacons, and laymen winning high commendation so that death in this form, the result of great piety and strong faith, seems in every way the equal to martyrdom. Listen to what he describes is the pagan response. He calls them the heathen, which just so you know, I don't usually call the people of the world around here heathens. Uh, But he says the heathen behaved, listen to this, the Romans behaved in the opposite way. At first onset of the disease, this is Dionysius, this is historical, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses as dirt hoping thereby to avert the spread of the contagion of the fatal disease, but do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. The number of survivors in the Christian community was exponentially higher than any other community. Because these brothers didn't run from the disease. They saw themselves as a missionary outpost who saw a fire fire, and didn't run from it. They ran right at it and said, I'm here to help. And in helping bring life back to a person, they got the sickness and they would die. He says that was martyrdom to us. And it was unimaginable joy because we knew that this life is temporary and we got a life coming. That's what flipped the world of Rome upside down. Because even if you could win an argument with a Christian with some platonic philosophy, the one thing historians say was, you know what trumps the argument all the time? Trump's any argument is when you see a person who's willing to die for what they believe. These men and women cared. The care of Christians has been shown, that we've shown to one another, has been our greatest evangelical tool that we've ever had. More hospitals have been built by Christians than any other group of people in history. More schools have been built. More care has been given. More vaccines have been purchased. More money has been donated to the care of this planet. No one has done greater than the body of Christ. Period. Unbeatable. Do you know that? Because they have a king who's done something greater than any god and king has ever done. It's amazing. Now, it's not easy. That's why Galatians 6, Paul says, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have every opportunity, to let us do good to everyone, and especially to those of the household of faith. So let's talk a little bit about application. See, care for others, guys, is an obvious expectation outside of the church and inside of the church. And so we are called to be generously caring of those around us. And some of the things we have to ask ourselves is, do we give generously financially to our local body to meet the needs of people? Here at Outpost, 10% of every dollar that's ever given goes to what's called a mercy fund, which is established to give care for uh, food, shelter, and clothing for the members of Outpost Community Church. And I've already seen it be used here at Outpost to provide for those who are in trial, provide for those who are in struggle, and it's ready for those who face fire and distress uh, and and burden and uh, the pain of broken marriages and whatever may come our way to care for one another. Okay, and that is what we as a body are called to do. Do you have a group of believers around you who are willing to do that for you? Who are Willing to show up when you're sick, even if it gets them sick. Who are willing to come and they're, they're ready to cover your mortgage for a month because of what's happened. They're ready to put you up in a hotel because your house burned down. They're ready to bring you food when you have a baby. Praise God for that group of people in here. Come on. You know, I gained 10 pounds during that season. Do you have a group of people who do that for you? Who meet the needs? Or do do you live in this like Seinfeld, George Costanza, selfish community? that All they can think about is themselves. And when you need them the most, they're only thinking about how they can help you in a way that helps them. Man, I got to tell you what. It is so good to be a part of a community of people who bear one another's burdens and so fill the law of Christ. But I want to tell you, Physical care for one another is something that we're expected to do, something that we're a part of. Uh, The members of Outpost Community are all a part of a team. And on that team, here's what happens. When something happens, we ask that team to be the first lines of meeting the need. And if they can't bear the entire burden, then it goes to our whole church, and then we try to meet that need as a church. Do You see? You have a community of members of people around you who are here for you. We are here for you. And in the ways that we fail, help us to be better. Admonish us. Encourage us. Exhort us. We want to get better at it. Let's do it. Let's be a community that this community in Cody looks at and goes, wow, those guys care for each other in a unique way. And let's care for them. Now, care for one another is physical, and physical care is extremely important. But I think physical care is not as important as spiritual care, okay? In fact, there's a saying, missionary saying, where they say, look, uh, you got to care for their physical needs if you want to talk to them about their spiritual needs, Right? There's, there's this saying where they say, I can't hear the gospel from you over the grumbling of my own stomach. Do You guys get it? And I think that's true. So here's what I would say is, I think physical care is a means to a greater end, which is spiritual care, okay? And so today we're gonna look at spiritual care. We're gonna look at spiritual care in an area uh, we're gonna call correction, all right? And so this is what I mean by correction. Correction is saving friends from sin's destruction and pointing them towards life. Correction, saving friends from sin's destruction and pointing them towards life. James 5, 19 and 20. Write this down in your notes. It's a great thing to memorize. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and somebody brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Listen, correction which I'm going to talk about, is a controversial topic in the church. And it's one that I think many people avoid because they don't want to come across as legalistic or judgmental, which I get. And a lot of people don't want to talk about correction or they don't want to walk out correction because, honestly, they know that to do that means that they're going to have to start focusing on some things in their own life. Right? I have known men who do not want to talk to other men about their pornography problem because if they do, then they're going to have to dress their own. And so they create this community of silence. Now, I want to make an argument that if you don't have a community of correction around you, people who are trying to hold you back from the pain of sin and lead you to life, you are living the most foolish life you could ever live. You're being incredibly irresponsible with your life if you do not have a strong and humble community of people around you. Like as James just said, if done correctly, correction is a means by which we save people from the outcome of sin. Do you guys know, listen, all of you have heard sin, and you think about it from a legalistic perspective, but you've got to understand, when the Bible talks about sin, it's just not talking about, you better not do this, you little piece of junk, Right? I got real close to sinning right there. You see how I did that? See that right there? That's years of sanctification. It's my wife right there. All right, listen. That's not what it's saying. Your Bible tells you of these things that are sin because it's God trying to save you from pain and death. And all those who who surrender to the life of Christ, they already know that. We know what sin has done to us, right? Do you have a memory I love, this, I love this statement a friend of mine says, often. he says, listen, um, I spent my 20s testing the warnings of God and found them all to be true, and now I'm testing his promises. Psalm 19, uh, verses 7 through 11, something I, I, man, I'm working to memorize. You guys can work on this with me. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Listen to verses 10 and 11. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward." Here's your problem right now, guys. This is probably the biggest problem. You read that and you go, that sounds great, David. But you don't really believe it. Guys, I'm telling you, I'm 32. And I think I'm walking more wisely than some of you are 62. Just because I believe this to be true. I'm not saying I'm better than you. I'm not saying I've got more experience than you. I'm not saying I know more than you. I just, I think I believe this. That what God says really is for our best. He's not trying to rip you off. He's trying to set you free. Shouldn't God's kingdom people be a people who then then bust out the word of God and go, this is what God says. The good, loving God who wants to save us from pain, this is what he says. Listen to it. Shouldn't they do the same? Man, I am blessed with a group of people in my life, listen, who are willing to tell me, Greg, that is not in line with God. That's not the heart of Christ. That's not even right, buddy. And let me show you why. Okay, so let's look at what Paul says. I, I want to I show you a couple of things. I think it's so important. If you're, oh, this is so important. Because listen, to not live in a community that's going to do this on a regular basis means you live in a community that does not do any discipleship. You are not in a discipling community. You're in this watered-down, made-up club that puts Jesus on it and says, and hey, look at us. And I'm just telling you, man. I'm just telling you. I'm not telling you to like, to like criticize. I'm telling you this because it could be so much better for you and so much better for those around you. And you could get so much better at glorifying God with your life. If you just let people in to come and do this. Look, Paul says to Timothy, now, there's a way that we need to do this, right? Some of you guys are going, listen, I have been corrected, uh, and it wasn't really that great, right? So can we all agree that uh, there is some things that should not be corrected? Do you agree? There's some things that should be corrected. Do you agree? Okay. Do you think there's a way to go about that correction as well? And there's a way not to do it? Okay. Okay. Let me tell you as a man who's lived a lot of hours in the not do it section. Okay, there's a better way to do this. And I'm not scared of conflict. Some of you know this about me. I will come right at you with it. Now, I'm learning that there's a way to do it. And so a wise man in my life came and said, "Greg, I need you to memorize this passage of scripture because it's going to instruct you." And so listen, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 24, this is what I have now taken into my heart, and listen friends, I'm working on it. Give me grace. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with what? Gentleness. Right? And I, some people last night were joking about me that I'm like like a bull in a china shop. God perhaps... Uh, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured to do his will. So listen, what I think is so important here is he's talking about those who are adversarial against the church in general, but I think the truth in this is still the same, that patience and gentleness should mark our correction. There should be a patience. There should be a gentleness. I'm learning a lot about that. It's so important. But there's not only need to be a good way about going, a humility about this, right? Like Jesus, when he says, hey, listen, uh, Greg, before you go to reach to get that speck out of Tony Mong's eye, hey, why don't we address that giant log in yours, right? Because you're going to end up jamming your finger in his eye when you've got a logging truck in yours, bro. And so there's got to be a humility. But all of our correction has to be based off of what? Your opinion, my opinion, what? Scripture. Good job, friends. Good answer. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul, when he's continuing to encourage Timothy, this young guy just like Greg, he's pastoring this church just like me and you guys, he says, Listen, you need, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which I told you guys about last week, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. And it's what? It's profitable for teaching, correction, reproof, training in righteousness that a man or woman in God can be complete. He says, take this word and use the word. But bro, be humble. And then he tells him in chapter 4, he charges them in the name of Jesus, which I told you about, and he says this, then I want you to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. We don't like that, and a lot of churches want to stop it. They don't want to talk about what's not right. They don't want to tell people not to do anything. And I just think it's because they don't understand what it really means to love people. Uh, Our friend Steve this morning was talking about in the circle, like really just displaying his love for Mormons and just wanting to show them the truth. And it's not that he's just wanting to be right; he just wanted to go. Look, I just I want you to come to the knowledge of the real gospel. It was motivated by love. And that's what we're called to be motivated by. Colossians 3, great passage. Uh, Here at Alpus, one of our core values is that we want to admonish faithfully. And so this is the verse we put behind that core value to drive it forward. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you, friend, richly. And then through you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And this is what's crazy. None of you probably have ever said this. He says, it goes... Uh, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts towards God. Have any of you like somebody came into your life, they corrected you, they were right, they showed you a scripture, they did it well, and you're like, I just want to worship the Lord right now. I just want to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in my heart towards God. I tell you what, because of the consequence of them coming and sharing with me, it's created righteousness and fruit in my life that I go, it makes me want to praise God. I'm so thankful that one day of my life somebody told me I was a sinner rebellious against God and that but God uh, with his son in submission to the authority and will of God laid down his life for me that saved my life I'm so glad somebody came and said Greg you're quarrelsome and you were not kind it's led me to be a better counselor a better shepherd of other people I'm glad that people came into my life said Greg this addiction to pornography is not good it helped me see uh, not only my spouse, but myself and my coping problems before God in a better way so I could run from them. I'm so thankful to people who love me when my fear of failure and people-pleasing arise. And they came and corrected me and showed me the gospel and pointed me to life. to realize that I don't live for the approval of men. I live for, for Jesus alone. I'm thankful for it, guys. It does. It makes me worship. Like I was telling some friends this morning, standing here, when I'm, I'm going, what am I even doing here? I should not be up here. But praise be to Jesus Christ for the love and the correction of the church in my life. They have discipled me into a man who, for some reason, either you got tricked to come in here or you think that I'm going to be helpful for you in the journey of following Jesus. Praise be to God for that. Holy cow. Holy cow. How amazing is that? Now listen, I know some of you guys you don't like it. You don't want to be corrected. You don't want conflict. And listen, it it might be because of your immaturity in the faith that you don't like it. Hebrews 12:11 says for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Listen, my, my son and my daughter, and my other son, they don't like getting disciplined. But we do it because we love our kids. Now, listen, we spank our kids. Bare bottom, full hand, get after it. And listen, some of you guys need to join me in this because I, I've thought about doing it to your kids. Sorry, I just spit. No joke. This is aside. I was at a party with some friends. There was a guy. We'd already talked to him. His kid was out of hand. His kid was out of hand. And I, like, when I get angry, I, like, glaze over, and I glaze over. And I started to walk towards him to grab this kid because I was about to spank him and I walked towards this kid and I felt a hand on my chest and it was Arlie Nelson and he goes just wait for his dad and and then you can go and I just looked at him I was like oh god I was about to beat somebody else's kid again sanctification he corrected me pointed me to life thank god but, guys, I gotta tell you, I'm super thankful to be a part of a community of believers here at Outpost who are willing to do this. We don't do it well. Sometimes we, we overstep, sometimes we understep. Sometimes we just don't do it the right way. Sometimes we do it really beautifully, and people still don't like it. Listen, we don't live to get a reaction, we live to have an action that honors Jesus. And it's your responsibility to react the way that God wants you to respond. But I wanna tell you something. The first time I really came across this, I, uh, listen, I don't care what you think about them. I've got a, 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 I know more than you do. But I went to, down to Watermark to go visit this church. It's called Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. Go look it up. You're going to find whatever. But I went there because the lead pastor wrote this book called Come and See. And I was like, all right, buddy, I'll come and see. Let's see if you're doing this. And so I'm sitting in this lobby. It's a huge lobby. And there's a coffee shop, right? Like it's just you know this hipster church. And so I'm in there. And I go to get a cup of coffee. And this barista, all right, and he was a dude. So he's barista bro or whatever. And... I said, hey, man, I'll get a drink. And while I'm standing there with him, there's nobody else. So I was like, hey, man, what are you doing here? Like, what brought you to Watermark? And he's like, oh, thanks for asking. So we started to talk while he's making this drink. And he told me, he said, listen, I grew up in this church. And he's like, it it, it was a great church. My parents still go there. I love it. He goes, but, man, we we just never really talked about things. And he goes, then I got invited to this thing called the porch. And when I came, the first message I heard, this guy went up there, and he mentioned pornography. He's like, I've never even heard the word pornography from a stage at a church before. And this guy shared about his struggle with pornography and how God had set him free. He just shared all the details. And he goes, and he goes that was, I'd never seen anything like that. And he said, I was struggling with a porn addiction at the time. He says I started to come week after week. And I started to see this authenticity, but the power of what God's word can do in the midst of it. And he goes, and I was so attracted to it that eventually I went. And this is what this guy told me. He goes, I, I went to my parents and said, God, i got to leave. i got to go to this place. And so he said, I left there and I became a member here. And he goes, listen to what he said to me. He goes, and now I'm a part of a group of guys who have the freedom to wound me. You know what he's quoting there? Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27.6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Because of, listen, because of that one barista's statement, my life was changed. And I told my wife, I have got to be a part of a community like that. And I'm so thankful uh, for Tommy, for Eric, for Carson, for Jim, for the men in here who've been a part of my life and have corrected me and loved me. Whether you did it with gentleness and kindness or not, I'm thankful you did it for me. I want to return the favor. And friends, I want to encourage you. If we want to be the people that are known for our love for one another, we've got to do correction well. We can't shy away and be cowards. We've got to be courageous and step in. I don't care what your personality is do you love? That's the question. You hear what I'm saying? Now, some application. Number one, hey, we say at outposts that we want to uh, admonish faithfully. I'm starting to think that the, the better way to say that is we want to be faithfully admonishable. Are you a person that is giving others around you freedom to come and tell you what might not be right? Or are you putting off this idea, this vibe, that you are already all right? uh, And if they came to point it out, you might bite them. Let me tell you what. I still come in because I love you. But man, be somebody who goes, hey, guys, do you see something? Help me out. All right? Be faithfully admonishable. Then faithfully admonish and make sure you do it with a heart to care for people. Uh, Number three, guys, listen. You know what I find I get correction the most? reading my Bible every single day. So I want to encourage you guys. We say it at Apple's all the time. Members, listen, devote daily to the, to the Word of God, to, to a relationship with Jesus through His Word. You're going to find that you're going to get corrected more by it than other people. And it's going to change you and it's going to grow you and it's going to teach you how to correct others. Man, read, seek nearness with God and you will find that He will transform you. It's amazing. Last two things, which I already said it. Be gracious because you got your own logs, you got your own specs. And number two or number four, be biblical. Let your Bible teach, man. Let your Bible talk. And if you don't really know what to say, I've got this fantastic resource for you guys. It's called Google. If you just go to Google and go, you know, verses on prayer, you'll get 27 like that. Uh, verses on whatever, you know. And I remember one time I showed this to a kid. and They're like, oh, that's what you do? And they thought I was cheating. And I was like... <laughs> What do you think, I, like, memorize all 27 verses on prayer? Are you crazy? Uh, I don't know. It's like, yes, and I want you to cheat as well. Google's there for you. Use it. Okay, so there's a little, little tip for you. All right. Guys, the last thing I want to tell you is Jesus says in John 15, 5, that he is, uh, he is the vine, and his father is the vine dresser. And he says those are a part of his fold, those who are connected to the vine of Christ, who belong to Jesus. He says he prunes them, which means he cuts on them. And getting corrected, being and caring for a vine means you gotta do that. If you want it to bear a lot of fruit, you gotta cut back on it. You gotta prune it, invite it into your life, because this is what I want to tell you. God wants to produce a beautiful garden through his church. He wants us to be a bride that shows the radiance of the goodness and the kindness of God this world is looking for that group of people that we read about. My challenge to you and to me, are we going to be that people? We say we're his people, so let's do it, all right? And let's be gracious to ourselves, but let's be ferocious. In Jesus' name. My Lord, thank you so much for this group of people. Thank you that we got to be together this morning to get into your word, to talk about care and correction. And Jesus, thank you for caring for me. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for sending people to correct me. Thank you for those in this room who have been courageous enough to care for others and correct each other in community teams. And may we continue to flourish as your people. I pray for the churches of this community uh, as they gather together in other places. I pray that they were being built up by your word this morning. I pray that they were corrected. I pray that they were encouraged. I pray they were exhorted. Spirit of God, we cannot do this without you. No amount of charisma from a leader can bring it about. So humble us, guide us, and even where we're confused, I know you'll help with that as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, have a wonderful week. We will see you next Sunday. Love you guys.